0: let me just pick them out for you and then we can have a time of questions about the letter as a whole or whatever. His first thing is to tell us the three things that the blood of Christ can do for us. And uh, I'm not quite sure who has been to what meetings but uh, I was saying from these verses that there are three things here. First of all, the blood of Christ gives us eternal redemption. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come he goes through into the in the sanctuary of heaven with his blood, and by means of his blood, and thus he secures an eternal redemption. He redeems us, he releases us, he saves us by the paying of a price. Redemption means the release of a slave or somebody who's condemned, or somebody who's under a death sentence by the payment of a price. He gives us redemption, and he gives it to us as ours, and it's eternal, it will never be lost, not temporary, like the old covenant. It's, it's permanent whenever we'll never lose it. The second thing is that he gives us daily cleansing if under the law you've got a cleansing of your position in the camp the flesh, your fleshy position in the camp. How much more will the blood of Christ not just give you some earthly position in a building but how much more will it cleanse your conscience to serve the living God. So the second thing the blood of Christ does, it cleanses your conscience makes you feel clean. Religion never does that. The Old Testament law, in many ways, was just religiosity, professing to be God's people, going to holy buildings, and so on. I don't mean that you couldn't get truly saved and spiritual people in the Old Covenant. I don't mean that. what I mean is he didn't come through the law. When David really sinned, remember David, he sinned, had he committed adultery, murder, ruined the reputation of Israel the law couldn't help him. In fact, the law would have sentenced him to death. Penalty for adultery was was execution. Penalty for murder was execution. The law, nowhere which the law could help him. So what what could he do? He said, you desired not sacrifice, else would I give it to you. Remember Psalm 51. He couldn't give a sacrifice. There was no sacrifice. The only one thing he could do, that was to forget the law and go straight to God and ask for mercy. anything he could do, that's what he does in Psalm 51. So people could go straight to God. Abraham was saved without the law, 430 years before Moses, because Abraham, he believed God. There was no law, there was no Ten Commandments, there was no Mosaic system. I don't mean that people couldn't know God in the Old Testament period. I mean that the law didn't do it. All that the law did was, it restrained sin, it made you scared of sinning because the punishments were so severe. It, point, it pointed to Jesus, it pointed to it's a shadow. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, it was a shadow of the things to come So, the law can deal with those fleshy things, but the gospel that Jesus deals with is your conscience, your heart. It makes you feel forgiven. The third thing the blood of Christ can do is it makes it possible for you to get your eternal inheritance. And I am arguing that inheritance is what God wants to give you once you are saved. It's not salvation itself. It's not justification. It's not new birth. It's not being a child of God. It's what God is promising to do with you and through you, God gave Abraham promises. Abraham believed God; that was reckoned to him for righteousness. So he was he was justified. Genesis 15:6. He was counted righteous in the eyes of God right in the early chapters. But God was promising to do various things: to, to give him the land, to give him a seed through whom all nations would be blessed. That was Jesus. It, would be, it was two thousand years ahead. He was promising he personally would be famous who would be blessing him. Those were the things God wanted to give him is a foretaste, an earnest, a down payment of the heavenly glory. In modern Greek, that word means an engagement ring. You can see how an engagement ring is a kind of foretaste of what you can get. It, 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 the modern usage is a bit like an ancient usage. You, you can use the two different words centuries apart. The One illustrates the other. And it's the same with what's happening here. The covenant in the of Jesus, it becomes a testament. He promises you things, it when he dies it, 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 uh, it's a special kind of covenant the testament. So that's the point of verses 16 and 17. In verses 18 to 23 um, he makes the point that in the tabernacle everything, almost everything was sprinkled with blood. And the fulfilment of that is that when Jesus goes to the heavenly kingdom, he sprinkles the heavenly realm with blood. It's a very mysterious thought, I was trying to explain it the other day. Uh, I said, it means it he puts heaven under the protection of the blood of Christ. It, he, heaven can never fall again. Satan can never get there. And everything is, is protected and guarded. And heaven is, as it were, cleansed. It's a bit like, I, I didn't call this, but I put it up. It's a bit like Romans 3.25. In Romans 3.25, Paul is saying why Jesus had to die. And one reason why Jesus had to die is because sins had already been forgiven. There had been Old Testament saints and sins were forgiven. How come, how come Old Testament saints could be forgiven before Jesus died? Well, the answer is God gave them forgiveness in advance because Jesus would one day die. He, he would cover it eventually. And that's why Romans 3.25 says that Jesus had to die because of the sins already passed over. He says he had to do these things because in his divine forbearance he had already passed over the former sins. So now he has to die to show his righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. He's already forgiven people so he'll be unrighteous if he forgives them because there never is an atonement. So there has to be an atonement now because the substance has already been forgiven. Now, this is a similar point here in Hebrews. People have already been talking to the Lord before Jesus died, and they have sort of defiled even by their by their, their mixed prayers. father, he's a perfect liver. has to be a repetition of the death of Jesus in the Mass, and that, that prayer is really the body of Jesus, and that wine through his blood, and the cross is being repeated, and so your particular little sins are being forgiven by a repetition of the cross in the Mass. When the Reformers came, you know, what, you know what it says in the Anglican Prayer book? It says those things are oh, a blasphemous fable and vain deceits, a blasphemous fable and a vain deceit. That's not a says not to deal with sin and he comes he's not to deal with sin. Why isn't he coming to deal with sin? Because he's dealt with already the cross has already dealt with sin, it's been atoned for, it's been paid for, his power's been broken he's not coming to, to die upon a cross and deal with sin it's all been done the only thing he does when he comes the second time is to wrap up salvation give us the final inheritance resurrection body rescue, a sort of waiting for him to come finally and fully he's not actually dealing with sin, that's what he's been dealt with he comes and he wraps everything up in his second coming. So this particular section doesn't quite end it uh, ends in 10.18 and the chapter goes on up to 10.18 to ask why does the blood of Christ have such power? And the answer is because it's an embodiment of obedience and Hebrews 10.1 to 18 says you don't desire sacrifice, a body you gave me. I behave you according to what's written in the book. The reason why the blood of Christ is so powerful is because it's the expression of utter and total obedience to God. He he offers a perfect obedience, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect faith. And that's why the blood of Christ has such power. That's really the end of the main arguments of Hebrews. Hebrews 10.19 says, now then, since we have such grounds for confidence, not such confidence, but such grounds for confidence, since we have such reasons for confidence, let's draw near. Now we've got all these, we pretend to have blind and dark captures if are giving reasons for confidence. Now he says, since we have these reasons for confidence, let's draw near with boldness and lay hold of everything that God has got for us. And he works out until the end of chapter 13. Okay, so this is my, my survey of Hebrews and this particular an particular verses. Now we can have time for questions and anything you might want to ask and then I'll try and wind up with a bit more. That's uh-huh. ausgeh, ja, sich great bitte. justification being reversed. There's no verse that says if you do that your justification is cancelled out, you're not justified anymore. That that warning doesn't exist. There's no warning that says well, you were once born again but now you're not. That warning does not exist. There's no warning you were once a child of God but now you're not. Those those warnings are not there. And in the in the larger teaching we take take the picture in Hebrews that um, it's like Israel they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb they fade in the wilderness, and they don't get these into the land filled with milk and honey. But they don't get taken back to Egypt. He never said you got they got de redeemed, and they went back over the the Red Sea again, were taken back into Egypt, and now back where they were originally. No, they don't get they don't lose what they have; they just get stuffed, and they don't get any further. But they don't get de redeemed and taken back to where they were. So those warnings against losing your status child of God or Israel, losing Is this Israel? Israel still exists to this day, and, and we have reasons to believe one day they'll be saved. So those things that got us down do not get reversed. And the warnings that maybe this will be reversed, those warnings are not there, you can't find them. Unless you particularly read the warnings in that way. The warnings that are there are about other things. They're often warnings about rewards. One man runs in the race, only one gets the gets the, gets the the prize. I'm running so that I'm not rejected. But if means rejected for the prize. It's not dealing with salvation, it's dealing with reward. Or Hebrews chapter 10, if you sin willfully, there's a fiery expectation of judgment that holds on to your faith. It will be richly rewarded. The thing is rewards. And so on. So the things are reward or experiencing the kingdom. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. The word that is inherits. It's about the kingdom. It's not dealing it with being justified. So those warnings are about the kingdom, about happiness, about being useful to God. Or they're collective. It means a generation of people, so-called believers, arose and they don't even have faith at all. God takes the church away. It's not a church anyway. Their ancestors were not all are Israel because they come out of Israel. But not all are the church because they come out of the church. But lots of warnings like that. But none of them are dealing with our status as the children of God. So we've got to handle these warnings in the right way. And Hebrews' warnings are all about Christians neglecting salvation and not inheriting the promises. Coming after a fiery... know the gospel they, they know the gospel is true they feel bad about it and they having quarrels with their parents where do you know that somebody still actually knows the gospel ¿Qué shall receive a reward. If any person will try burned up, he shall suffer loss. Yet, as someone being saved through fire, like a man in a building who, the building can use fire, he runs through his fire and he rescues him, so he's saved. Everything then is, is reduced to actions. He loses everything that he himself has run from the fire and escaped. So you can even lose reward totally said before, and still get to heaven. So, I don't think what Sometimes Assurance assurance is not a development of faith, it can can develop, but even when you first believe, there's a certain amount of assurance even in believing. Not assurance in yourself. You're not being sure of yourself, you can be a bit unsure of yourself, but you're sure of the promises of God. They all do something that shows something about the Gospel. Noah shows that when you really have faith, you want other people to be saved. Noah was a preacher of the Gospel. He wants other people to be saved. And if he could not get anybody else saved, he could get his family saved. Noah got his family saved. If you can't save anybody else. You can save your family. them and pray to the family. So sort of have lost sight of it, and that's just, uh, all right. Let's just follow the trend, if You can even fight it, and God will bring it about. You've got a calling upon your life, and God will put you in that calling. And uh, David and these uh, people, there's always delay. You can even lose sight of your calling, but God will bring it to you eventually. It may take time before you, get there. it took me 10 years. And looking back, I i don't know now what God was doing. I don't know everything I needed to do in North Africa before I went to Kenya, which was a good idea. I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. There could be delay. Sight of things, but God's of course calling you still there. Don't, 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 stop believing when they say that. There can be opposition and that comes from the devil when you're really to be of God. Don't be surprised if every god not against you, including your best friends. There can be fearful opposition when there's revival. The opposition does not come from the world; it comes from other churches. When Jesus came, the opposition come from Pontius Pilate or, or or the Greeks or the philosophers. It came from the Enough with nothing to be defective. Jeremiah says, no, I'm too young. Paul, he wasn't volunteering for anything. Peter, Peter says, Depart from me, I'm a wicked man. He's very enthusiastic about Paul. Anyone who comes anywhere near it is Isaiah. And even Isaiah does say, oh, Thank you, Lord, I'll go. He says, Lord, Jeremiah,